Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, what's up? It's Nolan from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are an automotive history show. This week, we're talking the life story of Gilles Villeneuve, Canada's most important Formula One driver, This guy is a national hero up there and truly one of the greats taken from us too soon. He started out racing snowmobiles when he was a teenager. He invented one of the most important snowmobile innovations ever, which is crazy for a Formula One driver to do, and eventually became just one of the most legendary drivers of the 1970s. This guy raced for such a short time, but had such a large impact, and it was super cool to talk about a Quebecois racing legend. That's Past Gas by Dona Media, available anywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Number one automotive podcast, Past Gas. In December of 1922, French industrialist André-Gustave Citron was determined to show the world how tough his cars could be. Though the Citrons were simple and affordable, he knew they were built to handle any terrain, even the Sahara Desert. So, Citron sent two of his famous explorer friends to cross the Sahara in five half-tracks specifically designed to travel through the hostile conditions. The team set off from Algiers and drove more than 2,000 miles to Timbuktu on the other side, becoming the first vehicles to ever cross the Sahara Desert. The convoy was followed closely by fans in France thanks to a new invention called the radio. And as a result of the brilliant publicity stunt, Citroën became known as one of the most impressive car brands in the world. But how exactly did the company's founder, André Citroën, get his start? How did Citroën set the standard for how well-crafted cars could be made cheaper for consumers? And how did André Citroën almost lose it all? On today's episode of Past Gas, grab your berets, because we're talking Citroën. Past Gas Podcast. It's about cars, it's not about ports. Gun to your head, who's your favorite French industrialist? Ooh, go, man. go. Wow. Um, probably the guy who uh, ran AMC, Renault, and then got assassinated by those anarchists. Oh, yeah, that guy was cool. That well, was pretty crazy. He, yeah, he, he laid a bunch he, of He might off. have been post-industrialist. That was a cool story. Yeah. Yeah. I, mine is Gustave Eiffel. 
Oh, oh. the guy with the tower. Yeah. Good for him. Nice. Good poll, Joe. Mine is uh, Jonathan Louvre <laughs> <laughs> of the Louvre. He fame. also invented the the fins that you put on the back of a car. Yeah, Louvers. <laughs> <laughs> Luke Basson, film director. Yeah, Gerard Depardieu. <laughs> How do they, you do? They might work together yeah. someday. And they talk about it. All right, hey everybody, welcome to Pass Gas. We're in a French, French mood today. Pick, put uh, yourself in a freaking Riviera, baby. French mindset today because we're talking Citron, a car company that is not available in the U.S. Uh, my name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined by my co-hosts James Pomfrey, oh wee oui, wee oui, Monsieur, and Joe Weber. Bonjour, mon ami. Bonjour to you, Joe. Um, welcome to the show. What do you guys know about Citron? I know they're a French car company. They make a lot of little cars. Mm -hmm. They make fast front-wheel drive cars. Mm -hmm. They've yeah. held a lot of front-wheel drive Nürburgring records. No, I think you might be thinking of Renault. I'm thinking of Renault. No, Citroën. Um, Citroën makes good yeah. stuff, too. Yeah. I think what I know about Citroën is that I often confuse it with Peugeot. Yeah. The Citroen other one has the two Chevron logo. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, they... We don't get their cars, so we don't really have a connection with them. Uh, I know that I, I, one thing I know about Citron is that I didn't know how to pronounce it until about three weeks ago. Yeah. Really? What did you call it? Well, when I was a kid and playing Gran Turismo, I would say, oh, Citroen. Yeah. When I was yes. a kid, I would say Citroen too. Yeah. Yeah. But look at us, fancy and lads. Pidgeot. You would say Pidgeot? Nah. Oh, I would never say that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't know it's Peugeot. Well, I didn't know that Toe Mater. <laughs> from cars was a pun until about two weeks ago. Nice, yeah. <laughs> so we learn something every day, I yep. guess, is the takeaway. And it's okay to learn things, and it's okay. You don't have to pretend to know things. That's something I'm really working on mm -hmm. lately. I have a tendency to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, and being like, I don't really know what that means. Uh, I want to be more forthcoming and honest about what I don't. For know? sure. That's really brave of you. Thanks. I noticed, yeah, today Christina said a word, and you were like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and I think that was very big of you, and I'm proud of you. Thank you. So uh, let's hop into this story about Citroën. Citroën. <laughs> Citroën. André Gustave Citroën was born on February 5th, 1878 in Paris as the youngest of five children. His father, Lévi Citroën, was a diamond merchant from the Netherlands, and his mother, Maza Amelia Kleinman, hailed from Warsaw, Poland. This is going to be a real rags-to-riches story. Oh, yeah. Andre's ancestors were fruit traders, and so used the family name Lemon Man. Lemon Man. <laughs> <laughs> Lemon Man. Later, Andre's grandfather changed the name to the more exotic Citron, the Dutch word for lemon. Mm, okay. His father's involvement in the diamond trade gave the family significant financial stability. So, yeah. riches to riches story. Until. Yeah, I was being sarcastic back there. Uh -huh. <laughs> It's not surprising to me that a diamond merchant has a lot of money. <laughs> that was until LeVay became involved in a fraudulent investment and his family lost the majority of their fortune. All right, we're back to rags. Back, back to rags. When Andre was only six years old, his father died by suicide, presumably due to his involvement in the scam. After his father's death, seven-year-old Andre was placed in the prestigious French school Lycée Condorcet. Despite his familial tragedy... Andre excelled as a student and leaned into his curiosities about the world around him. In 1887, 
Nine-year-old Andre witnessed the construction of the Eiffel Tower for the oh. World Exhibition in Paris, which sparked Andre's interest in the world of engineering. The Eiffel Tower would eventually become a prominent symbol in his life, which we'll get into later. It's a prominent symbol in all of our lives. I, I'm curious to see, yeah. <laughs> if you ask me to like, name seven things that everyone knows, <laughs> I would say that. Eiffel Tower, Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. Mount Rushmore. Mount Everest. The ocean. Dogs. Dogs. No one talks about the, the tower that I built. <laughs> it's not very the Weber tall. Tower. <laughs> it's as much as I can afford right now, so <laughs> you can have my back. In 1894, Andre graduated at the top of his class from the Lycée Louis-le-Grand and went on to attend a prestigious French engineering school, École Polytechnique. He graduated in 1898 at the age of 20, despite his, he was on that two-year plan. Uh, despite his degrees, post-graduation life proved to be difficult for Andre, so he decided to join the French army as an engineering officer and was stationed in Poland. I bet his mom liked that. Yeah. Oh, go visit grandma. While on leave from the military, Andre came to visit some of his relatives in the textile center of Lutz, Poland in 1900. Andre Citron saw a carpenter working on gears that had a fishbone or chevron structure. For centuries, wooden double helical gears were used in Poland to power water-driven machinery. The gears not only ran quietly, but were incredibly efficient, able to transmit large loads without damage to the wood. It's like a water mill, right? Mm -hmm. I don't really know much about antique Polish uh, machinery. And so stick with me. I'll get, I'll get you through. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm just more familiar with, like, cute stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like tchotchkes. I'm a tchotchke fanatic. Hummels? Yeah. Do you like yeah. hummels? Oh, yeah. yeah. I got so many hummels. <laughs> you guys have been in my house. Yeah. yeah. Lots of, like, little cherubs. So many cherubs in my home. Uh, yeah. Also, I'm like all about frogs. <laughs> <laughs> Ever the forward thinker, Andre bought the patents for these gears for a small amount of money. This led him to develop angled toothed and spiral helical gears and reduction gears for automobiles in the form of double angles or double chevrons, which is the inspiration for the modern day Citron logo. I think that was that phrase is in English. <laughs> I just wanted to mix it up a little bit. I appreciate it. <laughs> in 1904, Andre put together a small workshop with a couple of his engineering friends to produce the gears. Hey, you guys want to play? come over on Saturday and make some gears? <laughs> oh, dude, yeah. It's boring in 1904. <laughs> in 1905, at the age of 27, he officially founded the Citron Gear Company to produce double helical gears for mills. The small business grew quickly and by 1910 had annual sales of 1 million francs, about 4 million bucks today. That's quick. That's a lot of gears, baby. That's, a, that's gear money right there. The business produced more than 500 gears, including the steering gear for the Titanic. Mm, that's nothing to really write home about, honestly. <laughs> yeah, specifically the steering gear. <laughs> it's like the one of the worst gears ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'd leave that out of no, the company no. pamphlet. Right yeah, there. Was, uh, <laughs> don't lead with that one. <laughs> yeah. Citron's work sparked the interest of brothers Emile and Louis Mors. The Mors company was a pioneer in French automobiles, known for their success in racing. I also love their chocolate bars. The Mors bars. <laughs> <laughs> However, the company was only building ten of their large, expensive cars a month. 
Impressed by the success of Andre's fast-growing company, the Moores brothers offered him a position to help produce high-quality cars, increase sales by reducing costs, and improve upon their marketing techniques. With help from Andre, sales at Moore's improved from 10 cars a month in 1909, guys, to 100 a month Whoa. in 1914, which increased the company's overall production from 125 cars to 1,200 cars per year. Yeah, math checks out. Funnily enough, though, Andre wasn't particularly interested in the automobile industry at first. What later drew him into cars was a research trip to the United States to see the inner workings of the Ford auto plants in 1912. Henry Ford's factory technique of using assembly lines was unmatched at the time. Where it took several departments stretched across different floors to build a Moore's car, Ford managed to build a complete automobile on a single floor in its River Rouge plant in Detroit. (laughs) 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 With this visit... Andre began to see how different improvements could be made to the French auto industry by adopting Ford's techniques. Um, did Moore's end up go on to make the Moore's Rovers? Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Those are so cute. <laughs> yeah. They're bigger than you think. When World War I broke out, 36-year-old Andre Citron decided to return to the military as a reserve captain. During this time on the front lines, he noticed that the French army was severely lacking in their artillery supplies. Andre presented a business plan to the army's chief of artillery with an intention to mass-produce shells. With the assistance of the French government and know-how from his time working with Moors and Ford, Andre was given 30 acres on the Quai de Javel in Paris to set up a massive factory complex. Dude, you know how much you could sell 30 acres in Paris for today? Man, we slept on it, dude. (laughs) The factory opened in 1915 and manufactured artillery shells and munitions in mass, which at its peak could produce up to 35,000 shells a day. The Quai de Javelle complex was more of a city than a simple factory, containing not only production lines and shops, but medical and dental clinics. The plant employed more than 12,000 workers who were mostly women. Records indicate that Andre set up a support system for women covering pregnancy, birth, and paid maternity leave while nursing. Wow. Take a note, Ford. Yeah, Ford. Ford was busy killing people in Brazil. (laughs) Andre had been given the responsibility of providing all French munitions plants with important materials, but he extended his system beyond the plant. I think it's sad that all of our thoughts were, that is so progressive. Mm-hmm. This so is for, 1914. Yeah, more than a hundred years ago. It's like, yeah, dude, we should just do that. Yeah, and like not be like, oh wow, <laughs> yeah, you were decent. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> just been trained to be crushed by rich people. Mm-hmm. France is also like a pretty cool yeah. country in that regard. Uh, there's a ongoing joke in Emily in Paris about. French employee protection laws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a through line. Is that a cute show? It's fun to watch <laughs> with your gal mm-hmm. or alone. Who am I to say? <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, I can't wait for Emily in Des Moines. <laughs> <laughs> Andre had been given the responsibility of providing all French munitions plants with important materials, but he extended his system beyond the plant. Andre is also credited with securing a steady supply of coal for factories and power plants and even organized civil food distribution 
through the use of ration cards. Hmm. Where does he find the time? This guy's busy. He's busy, busy, busy. When the war ended in 1918, Andre had a state-of-the-art modern factory on his hands, but no market for the munitions it produced. So the 40-year-old decided it was time to try his hand at the world of automobile manufacturing. Yeah, I mean, you got all that machinery. Just lying around. Yeah. You got to do something with it. There's not much difference between a howitzer shell and a fender. Nope. Nope. Just different glue. (laughs) (laughs) Andre shifted the focus of the factory, converting it into a plant to develop and mass produce a small and affordable automobile. Like Henry Ford, Andre wanted to change the image of the car from something only the rich owned to a practical item the working class could afford. The Citroen Automobile Company was officially founded in 1919 and became the first European company to produce cars on an assembly line. Wow. I find it like interesting that a lot of the small cars that we've covered in this show are made right after a war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the Beetle... Well, there is a reason for that. Uh, they like a lot of times they repurpose this manufacturing equipment to make a really cheap, really economical, usually work vehicle. Like in Italy, it was like the Ape Piaggio. In Germany, it was the Beetle. In France, it was Citroen. Like it just you you need like yeah you got to get a you need something that'll get your industry back up on its feet. Something easy to produce. That was kind of the deal with the Isetta as well. It's like, here's a cheap car that people need. They don't have a lot of money to spend on transportation, but we need to build it out of necessity. So, yeah, I think that's a good point there. Meanwhile, in America, we had big cars because we won. Yeah, we never got hit. So (laughs) it's just like we got a lot of space, big roads, big cars, big nuts. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) On May 28, 1919, the company's first car was put into production. The Citroen Type A. The Type A was the first mass-produced car in Europe and featured a straightforward and simple design. The initial model was powered by an efficient four-cylinder engine and featured an electric starter, lights, spare tire, and a top speed of 40 miles per hour. Those are actually, like... For 1919? Having an electric start is pretty big, I think. That's yeah. cool. But the Type A's biggest appeal was its price point. The car cost only 7,205 French francs, which was the equivalent to around $500 in 1920, about 5000 bucks today. Whoa. The Type A was the first inexpensive French car to be sold at standard prices with basic accessories. Before it was made available to the public, word got out about the low-cost Type A. Even before the first public demonstration of the vehicle, thousands of orders for the car poured in. After a massive advertising campaign, 16,000 orders had been placed in only two weeks, and 30,000 orders were reached before the car had even left the plant. In Citroën's first year of business, they produced 2,000 cars. The following year, they quadrupled that number, selling 8,000 in 1920. This solidified Citroën as the leading manufacturer of automobiles in Europe. So those 16,000 orders, if you're on the end of that, you're waiting at least you're waiting three, four a while, years. Man. Two years later, in 1921, Citroën came out with the B2, a more powerful version of the Type A with stealth capabilities and uh, intercontinental ballistic missile uh, <laughs> launching capability. They were way ahead of yeah. their time. <laughs> no, that's a little car. It's not the bomber. Sorry. Uh, this time, B2 offered an increased speed of 45 miles per hour. The following year, they dropped the 5CV, a small two-seater that went up to 36 miles per hour. 
this particular model was marketed towards a yet untapped market. The Lady Driver. Most of the models were yellow, so the car was given the nickname The Little Lemon. Huh. Can I just say, 5CV Citroën. We drove the Isetta mm-hmm. pretty recently, and I want a quirky car at some point. Yeah. Like an Isetta. This mm-hmm. 5CV, This, uh, if you've seen that, this was on Top Gear one time when they did like a super classic car episode. Mm-hmm. Like, it'd just be cool to have something that I'm not w- concerned with going fast yeah. or like handling or whatever. It's just like purely owned on merits of cuteness. Yeah, for I sure. Think. It'd be fun. Uh, I saw a Ford Model A. Mm. Uh, last weekend on my way to this BMW thing. And uh, for the, one of the first times ever, I was like, I get it. Mm-hmm. That guy's having a good time. <laughs> yeah. I was like by the beach. Yeah. And he was going super slow and he was just putting around. And then we shot a video uh, at the track where he put Ford Model A tires and wheels <laughs> onto our Miata. And we drove it around. And seeing the top of your wheels yeah. turn is so sick. Yeah, that's cool. so cool. And it made me really want to drive an old, like, open-wheel hot rod. Yeah, that'd be sick. Like a straight 16. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be sweet. Like, what was the fastest car in the world in, like, 1919? Yeah, that's what I want to drive. Yeah. yeah. Were you just, like, pulling levers like an <laughs> organ player? Like, Yeah, it takes six people to drive it. One <laughs> of them has to be a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but he, el- he needs black lung. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's going to get it. <laughs> he's going to get black lung. <laughs> he's in a tube. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's the only one that can fit in the engine compartment. <laughs> yeah, he's, the fuel, he's the fuel pump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's turning, cranking a handle. <laughs> Citron pioneered discount and credit sales and even repayment plans that would extend from 12 to 18 months. Though the company was ahead of its time in terms of marketing and providing low prices to the public, Andre Citron wanted to show off his company's innovations, no matter what the cost might be. Do you think all the, like... French army guys in 1920 <laughs> yeah, they're like, signing up with and buying yeah, Citrons with their bonus. Citron <laughs> uh, at 25% APR. <laughs> Did you, uh, did you get a little lemon? <laughs> a little lemon? It's America versus France. We have the Hellcat. They have the little lemon. <laughs> I prefer cute stuff, so it's, give me a little lemon. We'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
Andre Citron was an endlessly ambitious individual and innovator. His ideas were big and bold and not just in the world of car manufacturing and design. Throughout the 1920s and 30s, the world saw Andre excel in creative forms of advertising. Today, the 1923 excursion across the Sahara Desert from the opening would probably be considered a publicity stunt. But at the time, it was a product of Andre's belief in the abilities of his machine. The journey was written about by the explorers who drove the half-tracks, Georges-Marie Hart and Duine Dubreuil. <laughs> in their book, problematically titled yeah. The Black Journey Across Central Africa with the Citroen Expedition. It was a different time. That's a very offensive name. The explorers asked Andre to write the foreword, and he got real poetic with it. Here's an excerpt. It is not right that only the picturesque side of the trip would attract the reader's attention. The hum of our motors must always mingle with the splendor of the scenery and with the memories evoked by it. Hmm. That hum has a beauty of its own. It is the song of progress, the rhythm of human effort, chanting its victory over the elements. <laughs> Sexy. But the joy of the journey wasn't his primary objective. Andre was very aware of the profit potential of being the first entrepreneur to figure out the best possible way of getting African goods to Europe. Andre recruited the help of several brilliant engineers throughout his career, but for this challenge, he asked Russian engineer Adolf Kagris to take part since he had developed tracked vehicles for Tsar Nicholas II. Hmm. But who hasn't, though? But who hasn't, though? It is funny that uh, when you look up Nicholas II of Russia, the, the tagline is former emperor of all the Russias. Former. Well, he used to be. Yeah. Yeah, it is a weird way to phrase it. <laughs> Normally they put, like, 13th. The excursion broke world records and was no easy feat for the vehicles involved. The five half-tracks named Golden Scarab, nice. Silver Crescent. Cool. Flying Turtle. Nice. Whoa. Sacred Cow. Whoa. And Crawling Caterpillar. Yeah. Oh. Nice. And the Silver Monkeys and the Blue Barracudas. <laughs> they were all based on Citron's... Is that... Uh, Olmec. Is that uh, Legends, of the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Legends of the Hidden Temple reference? Nice. They were all based on Citroen Type B2 10CV saloon cars. Ooh. While the production Type B2 had a standard rear axle, the half-track fleet had a set of Kegris Caterpillar tracks. Oh, Caterpillar. Got it. That allowed... Oh, is that why they call Caterpillars that? Because they crawl? Yeah. Like No. The, <laughs> no, not the, not the bug. I mean the, like... No, the I'm talking... Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I think that's why they call them. Yeah. Wow. Toe Mater. <laughs> you guys. Toe Mater. This allowed the cars to distribute their weight more broadly and glide over the smooth Saharan sand. Cool. Andre once wrote that in every enterprise, success is a question of method. That's cool. Nice. And it's cool. clear that this methodical nature is what made the Sahara excursion such a success. Dude, have you seen those pictures of like, here are all the other countries inside of Africa? The U.S. takes up like maybe two thirds of the Sahara. Whoa! It's that big. Wow! Like mainland U.S., not Alaska and stuff like that. 
It's big. It's not cute. (laughs) (laughs) But perhaps the biggest, most impressive moment of advertising for Citroen was when they managed to use the Eiffel Tower as a billboard. What? From 1925 to 1934, the Citroen name was emblazoned in lights across the iconic tower. 250,000 light bulbs and 600 kilometers of wiring were used with the display so bright that explorer Charles Lindbergh used it as a guide to help him land after his journey across the Atlantic what? Ocean. I will say, it doesn't look that good. <laughs> <laughs> and it was on there for like eight no, years? <laughs> yeah, for a long time. Uh, that is very impressive. It's, yeah, it's not that good. <laughs> it's it's not. <laughs> Maybe for the time. I mean, for the time. I mean, because like now we have LEDs. We have LEDs, and so they had a guy on a rope. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And they didn't even have like comms either. No. So he'd be. He's like, (laughs) to the right. (laughs) No, too far back. What? What? Good. Andre Citroen truly outdid himself with this unheard of feat. Unfortunately, this soon would come at a price, literally and figuratively. The time of the Citroen company's rise to prominence unfortunately coincided with the Great Depression. Even though the world was facing mass financial uncertainty, Andre was determined to modernize his factories and continued to push for innovations in his vehicles and the company's production methods. This unrelenting ambition also meant huge investments were made in buying out patents and developing new concepts. And it didn't help that the company paid for advertising on the Eiffel Tower and that Andre Citroen himself developed a massive gambling problem. Mm. Yikes. I love roulette. <laughs> I do love roulette. When I went to Vegas, that's all we did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the more flashy things you can do in a casino. Yeah, and I feel like as like a game of chance, it really truly is like a game of chance. Yeah. yeah just I, I just do red or black. Yeah. At the height of their popularity in the 1920s, Andre enjoyed the riches of his company's success and was considered a celebrity. Let's go, dude. Let's go, Andre. Let's go, dude. Is that Andre Citroen? He's a celebrity. Andre! They don't say let's go. I love your car! (laughs) (laughs) In France, they say, Allons-y. Allons-y, let's go. (laughs) Andre, do you mind if I take a picture? It will take a very long time. <laughs> dude, that Andre Citroen is so his meme game is on point, dude. It's so funny. I like the old Andre Citroen. <laughs> As the founder of one of the most successful marquees in Europe, Andre was one of the few men at the time to not have a credit limit. Whoa. Whoa. That's bad for a guy who gambles. <laughs> <laughs> this was something that he used to his advantage. And he became an extravagant <laughs> gambler. Wow. <laughs> I bet you I can eat this elephant. <laughs> <laughs> Andre once commented that he didn't mind whether he won or lost, only that the amount he bet was noticed. Oh my Jeez, God. man. His gambling habit was fodder for gossip columns and detailed his every move, including the various women that the married man would bring out on the town to show off his betting prowess. Two. Luke, check this out. <laughs> Look how much I can bet on this. <laughs> this man thinks I cannot eat this elephant. 
You know, man, I think business is its own gamble, and you should have just stuck to that. You know what for I mean? sure, dude. You are profound today. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm here for it, dude. I appreciate it. I'm proud of being your friend. Thanks, dude. <laughs> Wise. Mage, dude. <laughs> Despite the chaos in his personal life, Andre's quest to modernize his factories actually paid off to a degree. Citroen developed the first mass-produced car with front-wheel drive. Whoa. The Traction Avant Type 7, a.k.a. Nice. the 11CV, baby. Oh, this thing's cool. It looks yeah. sick. I like this. Put a freaking K20 in this thing. Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah, we should K20 swap in a 12CV. 12CV. 12CV, c'est la vie. Stocke blue. The VTEC. <laughs> VTEC is in... You hear that video co- cut in, it's going. <laughs> 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 the car had a unibody chassis, torsion bar suspension, and a low center of gravity, which made it a well handling car for the time. Sick, man. The Traction Avant was massively popular and stayed in production until 1957 Ooh. with varying body styles. It's a but, long run. But despite the success of the Traction Avant, by the 1930s, Andre's instability in both his personal and financial affairs was impossible to ignore. The Citroen Automobile Company filed for bankruptcy in 1934, and the following year they were bought out by the Michelin Tire Company. Heck. On top of the loss of his company and personal financial issues, Andre Citroen grew increasingly ill with stomach cancer in the months following the buyout. Oh, no. And passed away in 1935. Oh, man. He was 57 years old. Dang. R.I.P. Mr. Citron. R.I.P. Andre. 57. R.I.P. Andre. Goodbye, Andre. Bonjour, Andre. In the arms of the angels. (laughs) C'est la vie. C'est la vie. (laughs) Perhaps one of the more heartbreaking aspects of Andre Citron's death was that he never got to witness the success of the Traction Avant. French engineer Pierre Boulanger became CEO of Citroën under the new ownership, alongside parent company Michelin, and was determined to keep expanding the brand. To do this, they gave the 11CV a new 2.8-liter inline-six with an output of 77 horsepower, Mm. which is a lot for the time. Yeah, for sure. In an unexpected usage of the car's ability, it's said that the 11CV was so speedy and nimble that it soon became a favorite amongst gangsters, giving its capability to outrun the police cars of the time. Get in the car! Yeah. Let's that go. seems to be like a theme uh, with cars, like the old Fords that mm-hmm. like Model know, A. Beggars use. Yeah, yeah, the 32 Deuce. Gangsters like fast cars. Nothing's changed. <laughs> I love fast cars. During World War II, the Citroen Company saying I'm a gangster. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a spiritual gangster. I love Tupac. Okay. Um. Do you know boulanger means baker, like boulangerie? Oh, thanks, Joe. It's a bakery. Gotcha. During World War II, the Citroën company saw another setback when its factory in Javel was bombed, which led to major issues with production. That's a setback. Also, during the German occupation, Citroën's factories were commandeered to make vehicles to back the German war effort. Because they didn't have a choice... That's when Citroen's CEO implemented a genius go-slow program in the factory that intentionally delayed production. Hello, everybody. (laughs) I have an idea. (laughs) We don't make the cars fast. We We do it slowly. 
Instead of a two-hour lunch, we take a three-hour lunch. <laughs> In addition to the slowed production schedule, Boulanger told workers to move the little notch on the truck's oil dipsticks a little lower than they were supposed to be. By moving this notch, the trucks wouldn't have enough oil, but German mechanics wouldn't notice because they thought it was full of oil. A little switch watch. Yes. <laughs> Then, after the truck had been driven for a while, the engine would eventually seize up, leaving a bunch of Nazis stranded. Hell I yeah, love dude. Yeah. Stranded. This is. Sick. I don't love them. I love when Nazis are stranded. This yeah. is great. That's that's they're, they're so clever. Kicking dust it. and going nine nine nine. <laughs> <laughs> sabotage. Sabotage. That is my middle name. Ooh, Sebastian sabotage is a French word. Yeah, saboteur. Oh, oh sabotage. While sabotaging the enemy, Boulanger also instructed a team of designers to set to work on designing a small car, a family car, and a delivery van. While you're at it, design a tiny car. <laughs> After you are done sabotaging the Nazis, <laughs> also, if you find the time, maybe make a little car. Yeah. All right, I got another tidbit. Sabotage comes from sabot, which means to clog where mill workers would throw their wooden clogs into the machinery to make it halt or break down. Is that where clog comes from? <laughs> oh, my oh, gosh, dude. dude. Tomater, dude. <laughs> Tomater, man. <laughs> These cars that uh, Boulanger planned. <laughs> Boulanger. These little cars that Boulanger instructed the engineers to make were to be built after the Allies were victorious. Uh, that's a big, like, fingers crossed kind of effort. Yeah. We right might there. as well be prepared. Yeah. <laughs> These efforts led to the development of three iconic Citroens, the 2CV, yeah. the DS, and the Type H. The CV, 2CV is, uh, there's still some people in L.A. that drive it around. It looks like a little beetle. The Citroën 2CV was introduced in 1948 as a safe and affordable family-friendly vehicle, meaning there was no swears. The goal of the car was simple, if not oddly specific. It would be able to carry a family of four and a basket of eggs on rugged dirt roads. <laughs> I've heard this before. Yeah, without crushing any of those eggs. The car was marketed directly to working-class people whose income was dependent on their ability to sell these eggs and wanted a more sensible reliable replacement for the typical horse or donkey they were used to. Dude, donkeys, donkey. break, Don donkeys break so many eggs, man. <laughs> donkey, you broke all the eggs. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, Citroen, <laughs> the Citroen 2CV looks like something that a cool person would have in their kitchens. Like, uh, yeah. like a cool kitchen. It's yeah. like on the counter. It has like uh, scones in it. See, yeah. scones. Yeah. This is what I'm talking about. Like a cute car uh -huh. that I would want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is definitely one this of This is right up your alley. Yeah, especially sure. the one that we're looking at right yeah. now. Donkey. Wow. Donkey. This is much better than the donkey I'm used to. The, <laughs> uh, the 2CV's engine was an air-cooled uh, flat 2 design, much like the Isetta, uh, which was chosen for its reliability and because it was super easy to repair. Also, the car was incredibly fuel efficient for its era and averaged about 78 miles per gallon at a top speed of 40. Okay? You're going far, but you're not going that fast. The 2CV was a success, purchased by millions of people worldwide. People loved its unpretentious and smooth style. Also, it looks like a little snail. That's cute. <laughs> I would kiss this car on the cheek. Oh, yeah. A little peck. <laughs> 1955 saw the production of the Citroën DS I from love the this French car. Le DS, which means the goddess. The car was somewhat of a modern marvel, 
as it used the first ever directional headlights on a mass-produced vehicle. That sounds like oh, something that'll sick. break. Yeah. Citroen manufactured nearly 1.3 million units, so it's safe to say the DS was also a massive success, and I also want one of these. I love yeah. it. That's sick. I love the, the covered That's wheels. so cool, man. It's hard for me to wrap my head around the proportions of it. Yeah. Yeah. You hear it just almost broke my brain. <laughs> I can't tell what's short and what's long. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Finally, the team launched the Citroen Type H, a front-wheel drive panel van. The Type H was produced for 34 years. I have a, dude, it's so sick. This yeah. thing's hard. From I think 47 this, till 1981. I think this was in that French horror film, Delicatessen. Mm. Mm, I haven't seen that one. French horror, pretty extreme pretty most extreme of the time. Pretty extreme stuff. A lot, a lot of lot. skin being flayed off. Ah. Mm -hmm. Eyes being there's a lot Dude, of we're like about to eat facial, lunch right there's now. There's a lot of face trauma. Oh, in no, these you're movies. making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Type H was considered an innovative design at the time, with rear hinged cab doors and bodywork that was influenced by the Junkers aircraft. Yeah, it's interesting. Hey, you know that plane that keeps bombing the <laughs> out of us? Uh, let's make a car that looks like that. Over time, more than four hundred seventy-eight thousand units of the van were sold and. Uh, I think this thing looks sick dumped on some bags. This would dude. be a sick merch van. Yeah. You're damn right it would. Speaking of merch, we sell it. We make a bunch of shirts and hats and stuff. You can get it at donutmedia.com. Citroen would continue to develop technologically innovative machines, but any attempt they made to develop a unique mid-market car went over budget. This and the fact that they had a failed business venture with Wankel Engines resulted in the company's second bankruptcy filing. They're trying to make a rotary, it sounds like, and it didn't work out. Dorito. <laughs> Dorito. We'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. In 1976, Citroen was purchased by Peugeot. Ooh. Though the ownership was initially successful, Peugeot could not maintain the innovative designs that had brought the company fame and Citroën's brand recognition and popularity decreased. Today, Citroën is part of the Stellantis conglomerate, uh, who owns 14 car brands. Stellantis aims to update cars in development at Peugeot to make them more market-ready. Although some consider the brand to be far from the prestigious and innovative company that it once was, Citroën is still a household name in Europe and continues to be one of the best-selling car brands worldwide. Heck yeah. Citroen currently offers a lineup of SUVs, hatchbacks, and family-friendly cars, but one of their more exciting innovations is Citroen Oli. This electric car was built from recycled materials Whoa. to be as light as possible, which helps it consume a low amount of electricity. I don't understand. Is the windshield directly 90 degrees it from the ground? It looks like it. That's crazy. What? That's sick, though. I love that design. Whoa. It looks like a Honda Element had a baby with a Resvani tank. Yeah, and then it was uh, colored by Tinker Hatfield. <laughs> Who is that? Uh, I think he... Oh, the, the Nike, Nike Dunk, dude. Yeah. yeah, it's got some infrared on it's it, for super sure. super Nike. Infrared is one of my favorite colors. Very it's cool. the color of my valve cover in my Golf. This attempt to jump in on building an eco-friendly car supports the original Citroen mentality, innovation that the average citizen can afford, as the hypothetical price of the yet unreleased car is around 25,000 euros, or $100 million on Bring a Trailer. <laughs> Citroen has also reached beyond the world of manufacturing and is a well-known name in the world 
of rally racing, something that we'd be remiss to leave out of this episode. Citroen's history in racing goes as far back as 1926 when they came in third in the Monte Carlo Rally. That's cool. They then spent the next decade competing on a relatively small scale and weren't a major player until the 1960s. Petite. Petite. A few years after its public debut, the Citroën DS was a key player in several races, including a win at Monte Carlo in 1966. Predictably, the Citroën racing team was impacted negatively by the firm's 1974 bankruptcy and had a hard time keeping up with changing race standards, which demanded vehicles designed specifically for racing rather than standard production cars. Eventually, they caught up. And in 1986, Citroën came out with their specially designed Rally BX, the BX4TC. Although the car wasn't particularly successful, it was a good starting point for the company to get back into the sport. The 1990s is when Citroën Racing had a hot streak. The team won the Rally Raid Constructors Championship five times and won the Dakar Rally four times. Once in 91, then 94, 95, 96. Nice. Three-peat, baby. That's hard to do. <laughs> in 2001, the Citroën Racing team made a triumphant return to the World Rally Championship. And between 2003 and 2012, Citroën Racing won the manufacturer's title a total of eight times. Whoa. A key factor in these wins was the development of the Exara World Rally Car which became one of the most successful vehicles to cross the finish line of the World Rally Championship. Oh, do you know who drove it? Uh, was it Sebastian Loeb? It was Sebastian Loeb. <laughs> this is the car that Sebastian Loeb drove to three <laughs> consecutive drivers' championships, <laughs> 2004, 2005, and 06, and Citroen to win three cons- consecutive manufacturers' championship titles, 2003 to 2005. This thing is sick. The next car responsible for multiple championships was the Citroen C4 WRC. The C4 WRC was based upon the C4. The C4 Corvette. (laughs) Yeah, no, the Citroen C4 road car. (laughs) And was also driven by Sebastian Loeb to three consecutive manufacturer's titles in 2008, 2009, and 2010. Three-peat again. And finally, the Citroen DS3 WRC and Sebastian Loeb won the company its last two manufacturer's titles in 2011 and 2012. Citroën's effect on the World Rally Championship showed consumers that they were still relevant in the world of innovative and effective design. Overall, no automaker has won more World Rallies with 102 or more World Championships, 17, than Citroën. That is surprising. That's crazy, right? Whoa. That's cool. Yeah, that is cool. Because you're not... Big ups. You so talk about something. rally cars. You know, you, it's you, always people are always talking Subaru. Yeah, yeah. People are just talking Mitsubishi, Mitsubishi, Mitsubishi. even Renault, Audi, yeah. Peugeot, Peugeot, Peugeot. But real rally heads like us, yeah. like us, know they know. We know the Trone. Citroen and its founder Andre Citroen aimed to be at the forefront of design, capability, and accessibility. To be audaciously innovative in a time of worldwide financial instability was a huge risk that may have landed the company in debt, but at the time, their cutting-edge cars were unmatched. Citroen's mission has always been to make their cars accessible for drivers of any economic status, and the fact that the brand has carried on in this mission would make Andres Citroen proud. Looks like this bet paid off. (laughs) Nice. And hey. that's the cutest thing of all. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I I want a DS. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, man. You get older, 
and uh, sometimes your desires stay the same. When I was a kid, I wanted a Nintendo DS, mm-hmm. and now I want a Citroen DS. Wow, you've really evolved. I'm yeah. proud of that, dude. <laughs> nice. Toe Mater. Toe Mater. All right. <laughs> we got we some got- fan mail. Yes, we do, James. Um, what's up, fellers? Loving the podcast. Keep them coming. Just sent in a little note because I thought you might like to know. Donut is big in Moab, Utah. Oh. Back in September, I took the longest road trip I ever have at over 4,600 miles. Good Lord. On that trip, I stopped in Moab to see what it was all about. I wasn't even in town for 10 minutes when I stopped at the general store. Walking in, a guy yelled out, nice donut shirt, and gave me a thumbs up. I went on inside, and a minute or two later, I was walking down the back aisle, and another guy was like, donut media, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Pushed me into the wall. (laughs) Moab is a very side-by-side and Jeep sort of town, so it makes sense, I guess. Maybe you guys should think about including Moab on your next tour or road trip or whatever. Thanks, guys, for all the great content. Hattori Hanzo. Thank you oh, very dude, much. I love, thank you for making swords. swords. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think that's his real name, but. Yeah, that's a character from Kill Bill. Oh. Yeah. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Hanzo, <laughs> uh, for your, your letter. Um, your letter that you mailed in. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to get in contact with the show, passgas at donamedia.com. We'd love to hear from you. Even little anecdotes like that. Donut Media, huh? Really uh, killed me. So that's pretty funny. Also at donutmedia.com, you, know, you can buy a bunch of shirts or hats or whatever. We put a lot of effort into uh, our apparel. And just go check it out. Maybe you like see something you like and you can get it. Follow Nolan at Nolan J. Sykes. Follow Joe at Joe G. Weber. Follow me at James Pumphrey. Go check out our YouTube channel if somehow you haven't already. Hey, we have another podcast. It's called Donut Racing Show. It's about Formula One. It's weekly now, which is a big change, and I'm really excited for it. Uh, It's hosted by me and my co-host, Elizabeth Blackstock and Alanis King. The first episode we posted was really good. I can't wait to do more stuff throughout the season. Weekly is going to be so great, so check that out. DRS, baby. Big thanks to our producers, Christina Falski and Gavin Kinsel, and our writer this week, my good friend, Kristen Egan. Go pick up a wrench. Go hang out with your friends. Talk about cars. Maybe work on one. Bye.